The technology likely to have the greatest impact on the next few decades has arrived. You can start building completely new concepts for payments that we've never thought of. Move the need for a financial intermediary to transact value. Bitcoin and the blockchain have an amazing future. This is going to transform society. Hey guys, how's it going? And welcome to another episode. Today I'm sat here with Michael, Michael Karras, author of the book, The Bitcoin Money Book. So what's up, Michael? How's it going, buddy? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. No, man, we're, we're really glad to have you. So I am, I'm yet to read your book, actually, but I've ordered a few copies already. So hopefully within the next month or so, I can, um, I can get through it and, uh, and then spread the word. Because from what I've heard from all the reviews and from checking it out online, it seems like a really interesting and unique book. We briefly spoke just before we went recording there, but I mentioned to you, it's probably the only and I do hate to use this term, but idiot-proof book regarding Bitcoin. So, yeah, do you think, is it the only book out there of similar of its kind? Yeah, I mean, there are some other books. I guess I, I feel like it's the only book that goes at it at the specific angle that I'm trying to do, which I'll explain that uh, there are some books that are just storybooks kind of about Bitcoin that include Bitcoin. Um, there are some baby books that are like, just, uh, like introduce the words and, and I mean, there are, there are a lot of other materials that, uh, try to, uh, explain like the blockchain for beginners or try to, you know, introduce the whole world of cryptocurrency. Mine is a Bitcoin focused, uh, economics book. And it's, I mean, it kind of, it looks like it's a storybook. But it's really um, an allegory, uh, you could say. So it's an allegory for the history of money and th how we got to, uh, or basically how what money is, why we need money, uh, why what kinds of things are money, and why Bitcoin is good money. And I, as far as I can tell, it's the only one that's trying to do that specific thing. Um, it's heavily based off of uh, Saifedina Moose's the Bitcoin standard, um, you know, obviously not to, to the great d detail and analysis that his, uh, his uh, book is, but it, it's kind of, it, it has the same goal in mind. Um, so I wrote it in a way that I feel like it can, it, it, it looks like a kid's book, but it's really a, an, a book for adults and kids. It's just disguised as a kid's book. It's you know, the, the pictures and the colors and the little characters uh, kind of put a person at ease who has no interest in learning about Bitcoin, but uh, you know they might find the 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 cover um, appealing, and then you know you can sit down and read through it in one sitting. So that is that's what I'm going for. My hope is that besides for Bitcoiners reading the book uh, and enjoying it or sharing it with their kids, it's really something that you're supposed to get as a gift. Uh, you know, for, if your brother you know doesn't understand. Bitcoin, you buy it for, for, for him and his kids as a gift, you know, secretly trying to just get the, the ideas into his head. I think that that's basically the idea of why, why I wrote this and who it's for. Amazing. And it's definitely a much needed resource. The, the fact that it simplifies a lot of the, the complex subjects that we have to, that we have to touch on within Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's definitely a book that I'm planning to give away because I mentioned I've already bought a few copies. So hopefully I'll be able to share it out with a few people and um, they'll thank me for it. But before we get really into 
into the book. What's your story, Michael? Because I don't know too much about you. And um, yeah, because when we were speaking through Twitter DM, you mentioned that you're also a rabbi. So I'm sure you have a really interesting story. Um, yeah, so I am, I actually, I go by, you know, most people in this, uh, in the Bitcoin space know me as the Bitcoin rabbi. Um, I am a rabbi, I'm an ordained rabbi. Uh, I um, studied in and lived in Israel for four years. Um, and uh, since for the past, uh, I live in New York uh, State uh, for the past eight years. And I'm a teacher in a Jewish day school and a, you know, an active member of, uh, like a leader in my synagogue and community um, as far as uh, like Jewish communal activities. So I, uh, you know, always kind of had a libertarian bent uh, to me ever since I was a a kid. uh, That was just what made sense to me that, you know, we're all kind of better off and, and more peaceful and more happy if we're all left, left our own. And, uh, and I, uh, I, when I found out about Bitcoin, I immediately came to it from this economic uh, Austrian perspective that I, once you realize that, you know, this really is uh, gold 2.0, this has all of the great, greatest aspects of money, um, you know, the strictly limited supply and uh, yeah, the things that I talk about in my, in, in my book, the uniformity, the divisibility, uh, the durability, you know, all of these aspects of money um, that that Bitcoin invented and, and brought into a digital age, I just immediately decided that uh, this was an important thing. And I so I've been reading about it and studying and, you know, trying to learn as much as possible. And then after a couple, you know, several months in the space, uh, even more than a year of following and listening and learning, I wanted to try to do even more than that. So I came out as the Bitcoin rabbi and I thought about ways how I could connect uh, Bitcoin and economics and ethics and Judaism. And so I started off, I have a presentation, you know, mostly I just uh, tweet out little, uh, um, you know, insights and uh, Torah connections uh, on Twitter. But I also have a presentation which I give to uh, Jewish groups and uh, youth groups about Bitcoin and Judaism. So that's how I, you know, that's what I do now. I mean, my, my profession is I'm a teacher. Uh, so I'm in, involved in education in, in various ages of uh, primary school education. So elementary, middle and high school. Um, and then uh, since I'm also have this rabbinic uh, education and background, I, I know a lot of Jewish sources. So I've been able to find and make connections. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's been a great uh, activity and a great, a lot of fun. And that's how I kind of came to, the, to writing the book after putting all this material together, even though the book is not a Jewish focused, it's not at all uh, centralized on, uh, on Jewish ethics. It's, it's really just a economics and history perspective. Um, but I was able to do that because I, you know, built up this information over the past couple of years. Amazing. Michael, you sound like such a philanthropic person you sound amazing brilliant um so michael the question that i like to begin with usually is that bitcoin can be defined in a countless different ways so i kind of wanted to get your perspective on this as well because would you be able to give me an answer to what is bitcoin but making the answer more friendly for people of all ages and not someone who's a cryptographer or an economist and 
Yeah, just a, a general definition that it could apply to anyone. Okay, so um, Bitcoin was the first, uh, what I think that the most important thing of what Bitcoin is, is that it invented for the very first time uh, digital scarcity, which means it's for the, the, the first time that anyone was ever able to make something that had a truly limited supply, guaranteed limited supply on, on a computer uh, was through Bitcoin. Because everybody knows, I mean, sending Bitcoin is very similar to sending a text message or sending an email. But the problem with when you do that is if you take a picture and you've got that picture on your phone and now you send it to somebody else, you don't actually send it to them. What you're doing is making a copy of it. So uh, because of that, money could never exist on a computer, on a digital thing without some kind of centralized uh, arbiter. Um, and but when you give that centralized person power, they've got the power to they really it's not your money at that point. It's their money and they divvy it out and they are in charge of it and you trust them. So Bitcoin is the very first time that it was invented a, a way to possibly have real money that that's purely uh, digital that fits in with the digital age. That's as easy as sending an email or a text message. Okay, so why do people need it? Why should the average Joe care about Bitcoin? I think of it, I mean, there are a lot of things that people like to, that people focus on depending what their interest is in. From maybe the cypherpunk perspective, there's a, they're more focused on the aspect of it that uh, you can have privacy and you can have a real dominion over your own finances, which I think is very important. But for me, uh, I look at it and I think the most important thing is the, uh, limited supply of it that that money basically money is a uh, a placeholder for your time and your energy when you ex when you exhaust your time and your energy you do a work for somebody else um, you are converting your time and energy into whatever it is that you have produced most of for most of us that's money we get a wage for our time and money now for, I don't know about you, but my time and my energy is limited. I, I, we all have a certain number of days and hours and minutes. And so when you use uh, your time and your energy and get something back, you want something that is equally as limited, that can't be uh, reproduced. You have your limited time. And then if you get uh, dollars or you know, uh, US dollars, which can be uh, printed at any amount, uh, not you know according to the whims of the of the Federal Reserve and the uh, the, the the printers the people in charge of it uh, that they can basically take away your time and your energy that you invested you know everybody knows that their savings if you leave your money in, in, in for, if you leave your cash dollars under your bed it's uh, it's going to be devalued and if you even leave it in a bank in a regular uh, you know it's low interest a bank, it's also going to be devalued. You know, really, I think that the first time I understood this was at the very young age when my father told me about the the, the cost of a movie and, and a soda when he was a kid. You know, it was 25 cents to go to a movie when he was growing up, and it was five cents to go to a movie when his father was growing up. And now, it, you know, it's, I don't know, 10 bucks or 12 bucks. I haven't been to a movie in a long time. But, uh, it, you know, money is not supposed to work that way. Uh, it's just not supposed to be 
that that you work hard and you put money in the bank and then it just its purchasing power just disappears and so you're forced to actually spend your money or try to find investments and so then you've got to spend more time and more energy and more money figuring out how to protect yourself i think that money is supposed to work that when you work you get something back for it and then that is uh, preserved and so what bitcoin allows that to happen um so i think that this is something that's not uh for one type of person or another i think that it's inherent inherently needed for every single person in the world can benefit from having a sound limited supply money yeah absolutely i mean in a in a world that's drowning in quantitative easing the the scarcity of bitcoin is a it's a very enticing trait for all of us um yeah, i mean it could be you know in the in the bitcoin standard safedine uh, says suggests that it's possible that other than time uh, you know, a, a person's individual time. It's possible that Bitcoin is the only scarce resource. I mean, we, you know, we, we've been digging in the ground for minerals and, and gold and oil, and we've never found an end. So far, there's, you know, there's not been any resource that we've ever invented or a way that we've ever discovered that has truly ever been completely uh, used up. But Bitcoin, once we reach 21 million, that will be the entirety of it, and there will never be anything more. So it's an incredibly powerful uh, concept. And then when you actually see it in action and you see how it's performed, I just, you know, I think one of the easiest, easiest things to tell people is Bitcoin is the best performing financial asset of the past 10 years. You know, people don't think of it that way. They think it's this risky, you know, I mean, it is it's risky and we have no idea what's going to happen in the future. But uh you know, all, we, we see all the people that have uh, that have have a long term perspective and aren't, uh, you know, getting one aren't trying to become day traders and trading their money away and getting uh, uh, getting liquidated and that or uh, getting caught into uh, scammy ICOs and altcoins and things. People who have just bought and held Bitcoin for a longer periods of time have done well. And I think that's a thing that every single person in the world can think like if I've got some money and I want to save it for a long term, uh, this might be a, a safe, secure place to put it. Yeah. And you just mentioned Cypher Dean there and that little snippet that he mentioned in his book. And it reminded me of another thing that he says in his book that's really thought provoking. And it, it was to, uh, to paraphrase him, it was something like the Bitcoin ledger of transactions might be the only objective set of facts in the entire world. Yeah, that's, I do remember that quote that's from. A powerful one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, you know, we saw the whole conversation uh, last month about uh, Binance trying to reorg the chain and how quickly it was proven that the game theory just wasn't, wouldn't work, uh, at least not in that. Um, you know, in, in those amounts. Uh, so it's, you know, it is an, it, it's an interesting thing to, to have a record. That's, that's something else that I, I often compare uh, the Bitcoin ledger to Judaism, the concept of, uh, it may, this is probably universal, uh, you know, religious perspective that our, all of our deeds are recorded and, uh, you know, that there's an eye, a seeing eye, that, that uh, all of our actions are, are, are recorded and, and kept and uh, you know that we're judged for the good and etc. So that's kind of a a, a similar uh, comparison that I bring up in my uh, presentation about Bitcoin and Judaism. Hmm. So a bit more of a personal question now that 
I really wanted to ask, how does one write a book? What's the process from the moment you decide to write it up until you publish it? And did you speak to any experts within the Bitcoin space? I imagine you did. Well, let's see. Um, The writing process happened very fast, to be honest. I mean, it's not a long book in words. The book is only about 3,000 words long. So to write it on paper, I sat down. I, I, I basically came up with the concept on one day. Um, I, I don't remember what was the initial spark of, of, in, of inspiration of why I said I want to write a kid's book. But I, what, what happened was I tweeted out and said, you know, to, to Safedine, I said, is there a, ver- a book, something like your book, but for kids? And he said, no, there's not, but it sounds like a good idea. So I spent about a day just brainstorming, thinking through how I wanted to present the story. And then the next morning, uh, I got up and, uh, you know, once I was settled uh, by my, com- at my work computer, I sat down and I spent about four hours and wrote out the entire book. The entire book in its first draft, every single chapter, the whole point was on the paper then. And then um, from that point on, I went through a number of uh, edits, but really the main structure of the book remains basically the same from the very first draft. Um, you know, pretty much all of the paragraphs stayed in place, just the, you know, the wording and the word choice changed. But um, from that point, I had the, um, the manuscript uh, and I did show it around to a lot of Bitcoiners. Um, I have some reviews from a number of Bitcoiners uh, on the back of the book. Uh, like uh, Pierre Richard, Michael Goldstein, um, Max Hillebrand. Um, I send it to probably a dozen other um, na- you know, well-known Bitcoiners and some less well-known Bitcoiners, as well as to some friends and family who don't know anything about Bitcoin and ask them you know, for their advice on how the book did it explaining. So then uh, once I've got the text all written out, my wife is actually a graphic designer and has done layout for a number of books, uh, adults and children's books. So I kind of handed it off to her. At that point, if it was up to me, that book, the, the book would have just been a, a blog post that wouldn't have got much attention. So I really gave it to my wife, and then she hired an illustrator, and she you know, led the, the design of it. And so she really gets the credit for making the beautiful final product that it is. Uh, and then it, we worked as quick as possible. Um, we wanted to get it out really, you know, quickly. Uh, and uh, so start to finish, it was about a four-week project of when I first brainstormed the book until we actually had it printed. And we just self-published. And so it's been on Amazon. It's been selling on my website. I had to set up the whole uh, system to accept Bitcoin and Lightning Network payments. So I've been doing that. That's been a lot of fun. And, uh, and then since, since the book came out and has gotten great reception, so we've been working on the translations. So that's been like a full-time, you know, almost a full-time job at this point is to find uh, volunteers, find editors, get people to work with me. We've got, uh, so far, people have at least started working on at least 25 different languages. Um, we've actually published a Spanish translation and the German translation and, um, we uh, have uh, two more, uh, French and Italian, are just about ready to go to print. And then, you know, as, as far as we can see, there's going to be more and more translations coming out. I, I want to get this book, you know, to every place in the world. I want kids and adults and everybody who can to read it.
an enormous congratulations for being able to do that. Did you say from the moment you wrote it up until you published it, it was a month? Yeah, just about. Wow, that's insane, hey? I'm no author, so I'm not used to the typical process that an author has to go through, but that seems really, really short. And like you said, I guess it was truly, really important to publish it as quickly as possible because the clock is ticking, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, to be honest, it was coming up to um, uh, one of our major holidays in the year is Passover. And that's usually in March. That's usually in uh, April. And uh, I said that I, you know, it was probably February when I first came up with the idea. And I said, you know, I want to get this done before Passover. So uh, that was one of our motivating factors. But I, I can't say that, you know, for these, for people that have written really fantastic uh, intellectual works, um, you know, going hundreds of pages into explaining Bitcoin or any subject for that matter. Uh, what I was able to do with a, you know, a 30 page uh, illustrated children's book, I, I can't put myself on the same stage as, as the people that are, that are really uh, digging into their minds and, and, and bring out really high level intellectual things. Um, so I'm very, I'm proud of the work that we did, but uh, I, you know, I, it's not at the same level as, as some very serious works. I don't think anyone expects it to be if it's so short and you did it so quickly. And like we said, it's, it's unique within the space. It's, it's kind of a one of a kind, but how did you enjoy making the book? Does anything stand out as an enjoyable phase of writing it? Or what are some of your favorite snippets or analogies? So I, I really enjoyed the whole process of writing it because when you write, when you really have to write it down, um, it hones your own understanding. So, you know, it, I'll, I'll just tell you what it goes through. It starts off with the first chapter is trade, which really before you even get to trade, it, it begins with the idea of specialization. Um, so each kid realizes that they've got a skill that they can provide a good or service to somebody else uh, and that, that, that they would want. So they each, uh, start their own little business and they begin with bartering with each other. So, you know, everybody knows that bartering, that money is better than bartering, but can you, you know, to explain really why, uh, you have to delve into that. Not everyone has this vocabulary. So I did, you know, I, I, I was familiar with these concepts, but really honing down the, it's called the, um, the coincidence of wants. Is, uh, is something that it, when you're trading with somebody, you need to have that they both, everybody involved in the trade has to be in the same time, at the same place, want the same amounts, and want what the other person is offering. So this, these ideas, as, long, as well as a lot of other ideas in the book, like printing money, fiat printing, that you can't just print money out of nothing, that it actually devalues the money is something that I think everybody inherently knows, but they just kind of don't have the, that don't have it spelled out. They don't have the words to express it. So I liked doing that. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the characters in the book are based on real Bitcoiners. So I actually, I, I spoke to a number of real Bitcoiners to get their permission to include them in the book. Uh, so it was fun to talk to those people. Um, I also, I really, I liked one uh, really one of my favorite chapters is, is chapter six is the last chapter of the book, which is about copies um, and I felt I really struggled with with whether to write this and how to write this section, but I ended up deciding that it was very important. And um, 
I, I realized that after I've explained to everybody why, um, why trade doesn't work, why you know, gold coins aren't so effective, why paper money isn't so good, and then I come to Bitcoin and I say that, well, Bitcoin is the good money, um, I realize that the next question that people are going to have is, well, why Bitcoin and why not some other altcoin, or why Bitcoin and why not the Federal Reserve coin? And so I thought that it was really important to address that concept that, you know, that you can't, that all the other coins don't have the same level of decentralization. They don't have the same self-sovereignty and they don't necessarily have the same limited supply because of that, that it's based on the whole reason that Bitcoin works is because you're running your own node and you are uh, confirming your own transactions and you are assuring that, uh, that the system does only have 21 million or else the whole, the whole point is, is, is pointless if you don't have those aspects. So I don't, you know, I, it's, it's very simplified, but I do feel that that's an important way to end the book so that people don't think, well, it's Bitcoin and it's a million other coins that could be as well, which I think is, uh, uh, something more and more as people are becoming more and more friendly and an understanding of the idea of cryptocurrency i think that it's important to do the education of why bitcoin in particular uh as opposed to you know the three thousand other coins on coin market cap yeah and i guess that one other benefit that i don't think you mentioned there that bitcoin has over let's say a federal reserve coin is the first move or altcoins as well is the first movers advantage People already know what Bitcoin is. They don't know what uh, Maker Die is, and if Bitcoin is king within our community, and it's already serving as a unit of account, like a lot of the altcoins are traded not against fiat pairs, but against Bitcoin because it's the king because it was the first one there. It was the first one to be established. Um, but another question that I have for you, Michael: What concepts did you struggle simplifying in the book? So the the one thing that I did uh have to barely touch on like i've said that the book is really an economics um book and i i don't these are words that are not used anywhere in the book from cover to cover blockchain or cryptocurrency so i don't use those uh you know not none of those terms i don't use the word ledger um uh i'm trying to think of what other it it's really tries to be very simplified so when i'm ex but i do want to i don't want to just wave my hand over and say here you know bitcoin is a is an app on your computer don't ask how it works because i do want people to understand i, I think the key to understanding it is that it's decentralized so i do say that um i'll just read it actually from the book how i explain um how the blockchain how bitcoin works Fantastic. Um, it reads like this after months of planning Satoshi shared his idea with everyone. He called it Bitcoin. It was very complicated, but he tried to explain it simply. There will be a big chart in the middle of town that shows how much money every person has. Every day, we'll meet here and update the chart with any changes who gave, of who gave some of their money to somebody else. Everyone will also keep their own copy of the chart so nobody can come when no one's looking and make fake changes. This way, we can all have our own money just by keeping track of this chart, and we can all make sure nobody's adding any new money. And it basically just shows a big spreadsheet, and then the boys are, like Satoshi is holding his own little, um, uh, his own little chart uh, on his own little notepad. So that, I feel, captures in a child's understanding, somebody who doesn't, doesn't understand 
uh, public key, private key, uh, uh, elliptic cur curve cryptography uh, can just understand that at its very core, Bitcoin is a spreadsheet. And it's a spreadsheet that through all of these uh, mathematical things, you can prove that it's not, it hasn't been faked. That's, yeah. that's the most simple way of explaining uh, what, what the blockchain is. Yeah, I love that little analogy and I, I'm excited to read all the other ones because I'm sure the book has is, is got uh, plenty of them in there. Um, but just before we go into a quick Q&A section, Michael, I want you to give me the elevator pitch for your book in like a quick minute or so. If, if, um, I, if, I, if I were to meet you in the elevator and I, and I would say to you, oh yeah, I've heard about Bitcoin, how would you um, sell your book to me? Um, so I think that the, uh, the most powerful thing for selling the book is the front cover. Uh, I think that the, the color and the illustrations do the bet, do a better job at, at piquing people's interest. Um, but, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say, uh, what I, um, you know, uh, what I have in my introduction is many have heard of the world's first digital currency, Bitcoin, but few understand how it works and why it's created. In, short, in this short story, we explore the origins of money, the invention of Bitcoin, and the role it serves as sound, reliable money. I believe that the key value of Bitcoin is its economic role, and we, so we focus on that aspect as opposed to the detailed explanation of the technology behind it. Although it appears as a simple children's story, I hope that this book can serve as an introduction to Bitcoin for people of all ages. Amazing. And I've bought the book. <laughs> there we go it worked <laughs> good stuff um so yeah like i just mentioned michael i like to finish off the podcast by just having a quick fire q a section where i ask you a few questions and you just come back to me with some really quick answers okay okay so what is your favorite sport tennis okay what would your first action be as president oh probably uh dismantle a number of the uh of the federal agencies See, I love this by speaking to Bitcoiners, they all give me a, a different answer. The other day, um, the answer that I got I, is I take inspiration from Hong Kong and make a law so that there can't be that many laws, so that there's only a limited amount of laws. Yeah, I, you know, I probably could have come up with something more clever, but that was the first, that seemed like the easiest right off the top of my head. Yeah, like, I, I don't want your most... Get rid of uh, a number of uh, federal agencies that are better off uh, run by the states. A hundred percent. And by the way, this section isn't to get your most um, intellectual answers. It's just... Sure. Uh, yeah, lightning round. <laughs> exactly. So who's the most interesting person you've spoken to crypto about? Spoken to... You mean in the crypto space or... or yeah, within, uh, no, within the crypto space, just generally. I mean, I love speaking to Pierre Richard. Uh, he's just has shown me such kindness and, and, you know, has been really a great mentor in the space. So I've enjoyed learning from him and uh, talking with him. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely an invaluable figure within our community. And I've actually, I've been speaking to him for the past few weeks because we're trying to get him on the podcast to, um, I'm not sure if you've checked out our podcast, but we hosted a debate a few weeks ago between Dan Held and David Gerard, where they debated the case for proof of work and um, it went down so, so well, so that I'm trying to, I'm trying to set up another one and it is the case for altcoins and tokens. And Pierre is going to give the case against them, but I'm yet to source someone who's, um, who's willing to take on Pierre. And uh, yeah, I, I, I wish 
<laughs> that person a lot of luck. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, as fantastic as Pierre is, and I, I never in a million years thought I'd be able to host him in a debate. But yeah, it's going to be very difficult to to put up an argument against him. But yeah, uh, hopefully it, it all plans out and uh, we get the ball rolling. So do you listen to podcasts? And if so, where do you usually listen to them? What do I listen to? Oh, no. Do you listen to podcasts? Yes, I do listen to podcasts. And then what was the follow-up to that? Uh, when do you usually listen to them? What are you doing when you decide to... Oh, um, so I, um, I listen to them usually when I'm in the car or when I'm, um, I cook for my household. So I'm the cook. My wife works full-time doing um, graphic design. Um, and so... And I don't, so I am the, uh, just from the beginning of our marriage, I was, I was always a cook, even when I was, uh, you know, a, a younger and single. Um, so I, you know, I, I've got five kids. And so I cook uh, dinner, uh, at least dinner, and my wife and I work, uh, our, do have our home business. So I cook at least one hot meal a day or two for a family of five. So I, whenever I'm cooking or in the kitchen or something like that, I've got my headphones on, I've got my, my uh, AirPods on at uh, 2x speed, and I'm zipping through a podcast. I switch back and forth between uh, uh, Bitcoin podcasts and uh, Jewish Torah study podcasts. Amazing. Um, so what's one thing that you like and another thing that you dislike about the crypto community or the Bitcoin community? I really like um people uh the amount of um educational material that people put out like yep. that there are so many podcasts that there are so many writers that there are so many people that are into bitcoin really want to share and want to educate and uh i i think that that they have this they don't want to hide away and they want to debate and discuss and argue and and understand things and i think the overwhelming of uh, majority of people uh, do have positive uh interactions and positive messages and uh and even debates and discussions um and disagreements are done in a positive way the very you know small minority of of uh quote unquote toxic uh arguments i kind of think that you know if you don't feed the trolls uh you won't get into so many of those uh those uh, issues and those debates so that's what i really like about the crypto space or about the bitcoin space is that it's a very positive and uh and educating and sharing um of information um what i don't like i mean i don't like that the entire uh altcoin um that that there's an entire that the majority of the businesses and the majority of the of the uh things in this space are scams i really it's it's very unfortunate to me and uh, what i talk about in the book is the whole reason that i got that i'm interested in bitcoin is because i believe that bitcoin is the only thing that can't you can't print more of it and you can't just inflate it infinitely away but when you have three thousand uh altcoins that's the exact opposite of the whole point of Bitcoin in the first place is if you, if everybody can just print their own money and, uh, you know, trick everybody into buying it, that's the exact opposite. So it really bothers me that there's all this going on. I think that it's going to live another, who knows, another five or 10 years. But I think that in the long term, uh, you know, decades and generations, this, this whole 3000 
crypto business, you know, things trading which have no value uh, and, and this whole industry built around it, I think that is a fad that's not going to last. Okay, that's a really interesting answer. Um, so the final question, what project or company do you think will be big in the industry within the next five years or in five years time, let's say? There's a new company. I mean, I love a lot of the big companies. Uh, I'm a big fan of Blockstream. I'm a big fan of Casa. Um, I love what BTC Pay Server is doing by making the, uh, you know, host your own um, payment processing and everything. And I also like a company called OpenNode, which basically does a hosted version of that so that if you don't want to uh, host your own node, they can set you up very easily that you can accept Bitcoin and Lightning payments. And it's really cheap and affordable and they seem like a really good company. Um, but a new company that uh, is just starting to to pick up is called Rise and Rise Wallet. And they invented this um, uh, Bitcoin gift cards where it's right now, I think only in Canada, but it's coming to the US and, and it's gonna be spreading out. And it's basically, can, you can go to your local sh you know, shop and next to the Amazon gift cards will be a Bitcoin gift card. And you can give those as gifts to people. And I, I met the guy, the CEO at uh, the Magical Crypto Conference in New York last month. And I just loved the product. And I think that there's a big future for that because people are going to want to pick up uh, Bitcoin at the corner shop. Uh, right now, I get my Bitcoin at, from the Cash app, um, which I really love. Um, just the the ease of it and uh, that it you know works. Uh, so I'm I'm very interested to see what Cash App and what Jack um, what's his name Jack Dorsey of Twitter and his interest in Lightning. What where is he going to be putting his money and where he's going to be investing? I'm sure that he seems so far to to have his perspective in the right place. Yeah, unfortunately, the Cash App is only available on your side of the pond because I live in Europe and um, everyone tells me how efficient and seamless it is and everyone's swapping over from Coinbase to Cash App. But unfortunately, I'm yet to make the move because I, I'm simply not able to yet. But Cash App, if you're listening, we would definitely welcome you with wide arms over here in Europe. Um, yeah, yeah they, they'll, I'm sure they will get there eventually, but they are, they, it's just a great experience. Yeah. Okay, well, Michael, this is, we've been going for around 38 minutes now, and I like to keep our podcast this kind of short so that people can listen to them, like you said, on their way to work whilst they're commuting or when they're cooking. So I think that now's a great time to, to round it off. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Um, where can people find out more about you and pick up a copy of your book or copies? Put it plural. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I definitely recommend pick up several copies. We have got on the website uh, 10 packs and 30 packs, which are heavily discounted. You can pay in Bitcoin, you can pay with Lightning Network, or with uh, if you want to get rid of your dirty fiat, we also accept that. The book is also on Amazon, so if you find it there, it's, you know, it's a uh, uh, you can you can get it on Amazon. Um, so the book is uh, bitcoinmoneybook.com um, and uh, you can or you can find it on my Twitter profile. I'm on Twitter pretty much uh, six days a week. I take off uh, the Jewish Shabbos uh, Friday night to Saturday night, but other than that, I'm, I can be found on Bitcoin at, on Twitter at at the Bitcoin Rabbi. Um, I've got open DMs. I'm happy to talk to people. Uh, you can see my book. You can see the trailer for the book there and all the stuff I put out like weekly uh, Torah inspirational thoughts and 
uh, you know, my comments on whatever's going on. Um, yeah, I like to interact with Bitcoiners and I, I appreciate when people ask me questions either, you know, as a Bitcoiner or as a rabbi or some combination of those two. I'm happy to uh, give my perspective. Good stuff. Well, you heard it, guys. You can uh, you can go and pay for the Bitcoin book with XRP, with Bitcoin Cash, with Bitcoin yeah. SV, with Bitcoin Gold, <laughs> any altcoin you wish. <laughs> Once yeah. again, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I um, I hope we can do this again because um, I want to go through more of the actual book once I've read it. So hopefully we can set this up again in a few months' time and uh, have another chat. Great, Great. awesome. Thank you so much.